we've been talking about this lost submersible that we are all captivated by. And we had a text come in earlier, someone saying, Hi, my name is Sterling. I'm a retired Navy diving officer. And I piloted two manned submersibles, SDL-1 and Pisces-4, from 1990 to 1995 on HMCS Cormorant, based out of Halifax, Nova Scotia. We have Sterling on the line right now to give us a little bit of perspective on what it is like to be in one of these submersibles and to pilot them. Sterling, thank you so much for giving us a call. So good to talk to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Chelsea. We're all captivated by this story, but you have such unique perspective on it. What is your what is your takeaway as you're following this situation surrounding the lost submersible um, by OceanGate? Well, I guess to begin with, by having the experience uh, in the past of uh, operating these machines, uh, it kind of hit hit home and hit a chord as to uh, you know the potential for danger that there always was available. So, uh, to me, it's a very sad sad story. Uh, I believe that something catastrophic must have happened. I'm not going to speculate on what, but uh, at this point, but uh, certainly uh, something went very wrong. And with these machines, uh, there's there's plenty of things that could go wrong that could uh, quickly ruin your day. Talk about the communication a little bit. I mean, certainly I imagine it was a little bit different when you were operating in the early 90s, but it seems that there are still a lot of communication issues when it comes to these machines. So what is a typical way that we would be communicating with them and what do you speculate went wrong here? Well, what we use uh, to communicate through the water are what we, what we call hydrophones, and uh, they're calibrated and set. One would be set up on uh, the submersible itself, and the ship would lower a, a hydrophone probably down maybe a couple hundred feet, maybe below a saline layer for better uh, for better conduct. Mm-hmm. But uh, you would just essentially speak into a microphone. It sounds very echoey, and uh, you can penetrate thousands of feet of water with these uh, hydrophones, and it's just like speaking on a telephone. So they're be no lines attached anything like that it would just be uh through uh sourcing sound through water by the use of the hydrophones you know the more you think about this there's there's so many more layers to really consider and i think the state of mind for those that are on board is something to really be aware of and be considering one thing that i hadn't given a lot of thought to is that given where they are it's likely very dark and very isolated can you speak to a little bit of what it might feel like to be in that in that situation what are they seeing how much room might they have all right. Well, first of all, the the ascent and the descents were really quite peaceful. Once you left the chop of the surface, uh, the sub- submersible, we'd set them up to descend usually at one feet per second. That was both going up and coming down. That way it was a nice, slow introduction to the pressure. So uh, going to 12,000 feet, it would probably, I calculate, take them about three and a half hours. Uh, to get to the bottom. And uh, in that time, uh, the crew usually just relaxes. You uh, preserve your energy, switch your lights off. You might turn on some music, go over your plan, and uh, just allow the submersible to fall through the water for that period of time. So it's really quite quiet uh, from my recollection when it was uh, on the way down. And then a few hundred feet, you have your sonar activated, the bottom's coming up, the lights come on, uh, you prepare to jettison some ballast weight, and hopefully you have a clear path to land on and uh, not have any debris. So as you come down, you kind of spiral a little bit to have a little look around to make sure there's nothing that you can get impaled on or, or caught up on. So uh, the descents and ascents were really quite quite calm. It was uh, just the activity on the bottom where you'd be a little bit busier and certainly the uh, recovery and launch. Sterling, if, if, the, if the power were to run out or be shut off, would the, would the pressure stop and this thing could just float back up to the surface or is that really naive? 
Well, there's several. There, there's always contingency for emergency and how to get to the surface. Uh, uh, certainly, dropping ballast was one to make the submersible lighter than uh, the, the water that it's in, so it float up. Uh, blowing air into your ballast tanks—that's another another method. Uh, so there was many ways that you could get to the surface. And in our case, on SDL and the Pisces, if we ever had a thruster fouled or something caught, we had the ability to jettison parts of uh, the submersible through use of a hydraulic hand jack, uh, hand, hand jack with shears that would cut off uh, uh, a piece of the equipment. We had manipulator arms on it, so let's say a manipulator got caught on something, we could jettison the manipulator and, and get head for the surface. Sterling, I, I think we could keep asking you questions, but that's of course all the time that we do have. Thank you so much for letting us know about your experience and uh, giving us a call to share your insight. Well, for sure. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the crew and the families of those yeah. people that are involved out there, and I wish them all the very best. I've Absolutely. Been out there before. Yeah, the whole world is watching and hoping yeah. for a good outcome. Sterling, thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, you're most welcome. That's Sterling Cripps, a listener that texted in earlier saying that he is a retired Navy diving officer and piloted two manned submersibles from 1990 to 1995.